Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I am your host and guide, Kendra Ward. Our explorations begin where they always begin, with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does the earth brush back against us? Here we seek an intimacy with the land and beings where we live, an intimacy that transcends language, culture, species, even consciousness. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. By sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new old earth-honoring culture to reemerge. Well, friends, it's been an entire spin around the seasonal wheel, and I'm excited to revisit a project I started one year ago which I call the Embodied Elements series. By embodied elements, I mean, how is the season and its corresponding change in landscape changing your internal landscape? What is there to discover in the overlapping spaces between your inner and outer wilds? How is your body rubbing against the place where you live? And how is this place brushing back against you. Well, the five elements, according to East Asian traditions, meaning wood, fire, earth, metal, and water, these old primordial powers are not just simply theoretical. They do not live in dusty books or in the minds of scholars alone, existing somewhere totally, entirely outside of us. But instead, they're made animate, they're made alive through us living them into being. The five elements remind us of the path that all living beings take through birth, flowering, decline, death, and then rebirth. So don't worry, I'm not going to nerd out too hard on the East Asian medical theory. And you're definitely not going to need a background in Taoist philosophy because, like I said earlier, the emphasis here is on looking, listening, and feeling into our bodies knowing. Our bodies already know so much, but are we remembering to listen in the old ways? Author Robert McFarlane says, quote, our bodies are pieces of wild earth that never leave us, end quote. So let us practice exploring these inner elemental terrains. We all know the elements already, actually. Whether we realize this or not, we all know the seasons. We all know that still parched feeling of deep summer or the contracted underground nature of winter. And right now, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, we all know spring. We know its smell of hope, 
its innovative shades of green, the optimistic potential it brings in every blooming flower. And we feel this in our bodies, this desire to move, to shake off the accumulated heaviness of winter, to reach for something new. Take a moment right now to tune into what your body already knows about spring. Not just spring as a mental concept, but what do the fine hairs of your skin know? What do the labyrinths of your ears know? What do your bubbling underground waterways know? What does the starry-eyed potential of every snowdrop and crocus? What do your eyes and your optic nerve and neurons in seeing these little beauties, how does that open up these windows of fresh air in your mind? What is your flesh telling you of its desire to move, to shake what memories or smells buried within your dinosaur brain want to rise to the surface? What have your people known about this time of year? What stories or songs or secret yearnings lived in their bodies that now live in yours? When I tune into my body's knowing, spring feels like this eruption of bright laughter in my cells. Where I currently live on unceded Abenaki territory in northeastern lands, winter keeps its contractive grasp over the land for this for very, very long time. It has this hard stillness that runs deep. And even into spring, what feels like it should be clearly spring, winter is very hesitant about letting go. I have this image in my head of winter's long bony fingers needing to be pried up one by one off of the land. And I'm always so amazed by the animals here whose primary mating and reproductive months occur while it's still below freezing. The ground too feels very reluctant to let go, to shake its body, this rising and heaving, twitching its muscles. Spring is just more shy here. She darts behind trees. She whispers in the early morning while we're all still asleep. She requires a different level of attention. Her quiet emergence happens even while the snow keeps this cunning pr protective layer on the land buffering the inevitable changes, trying to hide the lifeblood moving in the trees, trying to tamp down the musk emerging from the soil, trying to slow the buds forming on the red flowering currants. But not even snow can stop the inevitable push of spring. A lifting cheer does not come in flowers, but in bird friends returning. And what a joy to greet each friend, the red-winged blackbird back at the pond, the first geese in their hunking V-shaped cacophony, the first turkey vultures in a massive swirling sky clan, their silvery feathers gleaming in the tilt of the sun. Yesterday, I happened to be walking in the forest when there was a 30-member tribe of turkey vulture queens in this one great vortex, 
these easy black hang gliders coasting on the delight of spring winds. So when I tune into spring in my body, I feel most aware of it arising through my shifting senses. My senses have been missing something all this time in the seemingly endless low tones of winter. The rubbing of stiff tree bodies, the quiet of snow falling, the emptiness of animal song. But suddenly my nose and ears work again. And there's this enchantment, but also a frustration as I catch the smell of wild garlic but never seem to be able to locate where it's coming from. It's just this ephemeral pungence on the breeze. And mornings are overtaken by this hustle and bustle of the bird kingdom in this total riot of parade and celebration. Outrageous colors of violet and periwinkle and magenta explode into view. So what do your animal senses know of spring? How is spring erupting up and out of your body? How is it showing up in your heart, in your mind, on your skin? So hold close to these inquiries of your body's knowing as we also start to call in and explore what the ancient five element knowing of this time is. So traditionally, from an East Asian medicine perspective, Spring is the rebirth part of the cycle. It's associated with the wood element, which in the physical body relates to the liver channel or meridian. And a meridian is many things all at once. It's a system of spark and electrical conduction. A meridian could be a pathway of life force or river of consciousness. So just staying wise to not equating your liver, as in your liver organ, to the liver meridian, because they're not directly translatable. So what is the energetic signature of this liver energy? You may already know the answer in your body. Liver energy relates to emergence, rising up, growing, expanding, flowing freely, clear vision, a sense of freedom, purpose, and healthy initiation. You might sense that your springtime dreaming is taking on a newfound fierce exuberance. But also on the flip side of things, you might sense a little bit of extra irritation or fatigue with the whole idea, the pressure of a personal rebirth been there, done that so many times. Thank you. It's exhausting to once again have to contemplate what to launch or debut or pitch to this relentless world. So instead, a new inquiry might rise. Instead of thinking that in the exuberance of spring, you have to do something industrious, you might just wonder how you can move like a sprout, a tree, entering this sense of archaic wholeness, entering into the flow of growth with less efforting, more naturalness, less squeeze, and more shiver. Psychiatrist and Chinese medicine practitioner Leon Hammer describes two kinds of springtime wood element activity. 
quote, the ability and decision to move forward with Wood Young and the capacity and decision to retreat and wait with Wood Yin. Nature has put them together in the same energy system for maximum survivability, end quote. So with experience, I I feel like this is an essential aspect of spring that often gets ignored in our under-nuanced attempts to understand this time of year. It's meant to feel like a push-pull. We have these ideas that spring is just supposed to be sunshiny days with birdsong, and it's just one gradual... (laughs) day-to-day, warming up till we get to summer. But instead, this is the hallmark of spring, this push-pull. Snow and then puddles. It's highly changeable and unpredictable. And there's always a risk here in the gamble of spring. And it can feel a little terrifying to chance ourselves into the vulnerability that life can bring us or that life requires. An embryo of a seed holds the danger of waiting too long or the danger of leaving the seed too early, either of which might lead to death. And yet the embryo holds this impulse, this will to become. Truly, these moments fascinate me. What do we really know of a seed's decision to tear at its chest to crack its heart wide open to the world? How could we possibly understand when it's gathered the energy to initiate this great pushing forth? It's a fury of effort, but also a complete surrender to transformation. And it feels like there's a spark of sheer will in this act, but it's not the will of like willpower or forcing something, but it's an aligned will, a resolute backbone, and moving through a divine timing. I have felt this timing in my own body when my daughter finally felt ready to swim through my dark birth canal. We might also recognize it in the fresh-faced maple bud, prepared to unfurl itself into this loving, unforgiving world, or in the shaken torpor of a hummingbird, the very moment that it knows that there are flowers waiting. But what happens if this timing or this flow, this movement is never acted upon? Something in us might actually start to rot or stagnate. Anger, frustration, irritability, they can all arise, ultimately leading to a deeper sense of not expressing something essential within ourselves. And I feel like there's this itch that can come up frequently for many of us, this feeling like we're holding ourselves back or that we're lacking in ways of sharing ourselves fully with the world. So it feels like there's this vital medicine in knowing when to assert ourselves at the right time in the right way. Otherwise, there's this potential that we could stay like a small, cold seed stuck in the ground, too scared to try or grow, dying without ever having lived. So that might sound a little bit dramatic, certainly in life, 
things don't always need to be expressed with some heroics or grandiosity. But even in the most subtle of ways, there are there are ways that we can move in our lives with the wood element, with the movement of liver chi. So we strengthen our liver energy when we have regular experiences of flow activities, where we're neither bored or anxious, just immersed completely in the moment. You know, we th- people might call these uh, flow, being in the flow or peak moments. When we're in this place where we're allowed to creatively express ourselves without self-doubt, but instead riding waves of intense interest and motivation and concentration. We strengthen our liver energy when we move our bodies regularly, when our chi is able to circulate, when our hearts squeeze, when our fluids swirl, when breath and blood spread through all of our nooks and crannies. Breathing in deeply, we open our rib cages, release our tight diaphragms, and enable ourselves to feel inspired, to inspire, to breathe, to have hope. We strengthen our liver energy when we allow ourselves to feel the therapeutic nature of anger and let it move through us organically. Instead of keeping it deep inside, we punch pillows, we sing with the radio blasting in the car, we dance, we move, we frustratedly weep, we allow our tears to fall to the earth. We feel, we release, we let anger move through us like a creature in its own right, with its own timing. We do not repress, fester, or clam our mouths shut because we know that we can either explode or implode. We can move the chi up and out, otherwise it just stays in and stays deeply unmetabolized. Ultimately, we know that this anger wants to create change. We strengthen our liver energy when we speak our truth, when we straighten up and take a stand and open our throats and let our voices be clear and amplified. This might be true for timid voices or when we're holding back feelings. It might also be true for initiating difficult conversations or when we're making up excuses for moving forward with or leaning into voicing our truth. We strengthen our liver energy when we hold a growth mindset when we embrace mistake-making, even failure, as an absolutely necessary and normal part of all of growth. The victim attitude of the wood element sometimes shows up with a story of life continually cutting us back, grinding us down, stunting us into a sense of despair, hopelessness, and self-doubt. We need to stop expecting everything to go so easily Like life is this perfect little line graft always moving upwards. So the spirit question of Wood asks, how do we grow through our lives and into our soul's full expression? When we become too controlling and inflexible, healthy liver energy reminds us to step back and take a breath, to get a wider perspective. 
How can we be willing to flow around obstacles instead of exhausting our resources in this constant direct assault against them? When in balance, the wood element in us is attentive, releasing mental rigidity, and instead empowering us to see all possibilities. So perhaps the standing people, which is the indigenous term for trees, perhaps they are the best teachers of this wood energy, the way they flex their roots and stretch their branches and plump their buds and run life-giving sap blood through their vessels. These channels ensure that the tips of the outermost fingers and the deepest toes of each tree are joined in a way that promotes emergent health. So I don't want to oversimplify or lump all trees together as if they're all the same. Each tree truly has its own timeline, its own ancestry, its own personality, its place within its larger family and community. Also, I hold the lives of trees within a deserved container of nuance. They live in imperfect, dynamic, and deeply resilient communities. But also, there's just so much that we don't fully know or understand about their lives on this planet. So, in an effort to not create overly convenient narratives about trees, we're required to see, feel, listen, and use every sense to try and show up with their same slow presence. In order to join the forest, author Ben Rollins says, quote, we must start using the portals through which our souls relate to the rest of the world, through our senses. Curiosity and noticing are the humble but radical prerequisites for a new relationship with the earth, end quote. In my slow listening, trees are watchful creatures with slow heartbeats. They're giant teachers of both being and doing, and they are guardians of a vaster consciousness. I figure since the ancient Taoists relate spring to wood, this wood element, they don't relate it to, it's not called leaf element, it's not called spring rain cloud element, called the wood element. So it feels like there must be something to this woodiness itself, which I feel like trees have a much better embodied sense about than us thin-skinned ones. So without any preconceived notions, what do you feel when you really, truly take the time to sit with a tree? What does a tree's presence They're just their very beingness tell you about living. What do their bodies tell your body about the essence of wood? And how do we already contain bark, sprout, bud, and chlorophyll longings and wise rootlings? Bark itself, since we're focused on wood, bark might seem so hard, so permanent, but really it's growing, it's malleable, it's porous. It's kind of like our own bones, really. Both our bones and bark hold scars and memory and reflections of a life lived. Both our bones and bark 
hold stabilizing matrices and reservoirs of strength and pockets of secret nutrients. And it's really from bone time, this bone time of winter, that we feel rested enough to stretch our roots downwards, deep into the dark, before we feel stable enough to emerge into the light. So it begs this question, did you get enough time to strengthen your reserves this winter so that you have the energy to grow up and through this next cycle? This can be a really lovely time to go into deeper relationship with a tree in the place where you live or in a park close by, or if that doesn't feel possible, you might seek out conversation with wood as an animate being, because really it's everywhere. We, we love wood. Human beings are always trying to surround themselves with wood. The wood in our homes, the wood of a table, the wood of the floor, the wood of your toilet paper, the wood of your journal. One of the easiest ways to break down barriers of separation with trees is through our breath. So if the task of connecting with a tree feels challenging, tuning into our breathing cycle and the way that it exists in an exact opposite pattern from those of trees, tuning into how we release carbon dioxide and then they process this to in turn release oxygen as an offering of life. So we've evolved biologically to mirror these plants. And our lungs are the holographic images of two living trees. It's through the release of their aromatic volatile oils that were gifted with their ancient pranic intelligence, as well as their pharmacopoeia of immunological genius. These respiratory tree oils contain antifungal, antibacterial, antimicrobial, microbial medicine, and more, so much more, having soaked up all of the wisdom of their ancestral history, as well as the energy and the sunlight and the moonlight and the, the wind and the breath of their environment. So just taking a deep breath outside is an opportunity to entangle our bodies with those of trees. We could even go further by engaging in apprenticeship with a tree or a whole forest, disrupting our conscious and unconscious beliefs in the human nature split. Deeply psychologically problematic when we believe in these stories of separation, and when we don't value the lives of the other than human beings, they become these lifeless things or resources meant only for human consumption and exploitation. Humans have a place in the spiral of life, but we're just one kind of being in a much wider field of relationship. Other than human beings have their own cultures and intelligences, languages, communities. And we don't have to understand them to offer respect or appreciation or awe, definitely awe. And I don't know about you, but unlike plants, I still haven't figured out the miracle of how to make my food and medicine from light and water just giving it all away in the end. That is, their, that is their special gift. 
So you might ask out loud or in the presence of a tree or in the presence of a strong wood element ally, you might ask, what can you teach me, friend, about the primal nature of wood? One aspect deeply illuminated to me in my apprenticeship with this old grandmother oak on the land where I live is the blatantly vast interdependent interreality in which we, she, all of us exist. Through her very body and her woody bark, she nourishes and houses so many other beings. She's so generous with herself. This remembering that nothing in nature lives for itself alone. It's always present. But perhaps it's most obvious during this spring, during this wood element time, as everything seems to be reaching for everything else. It's just this party of polyphony when there's so many voices blended together that no individual voice steals the show. Each has its own different melody or its own different tone, but they all seem to find this way to still harmonize with each other. Many voices coalesce to make one louder all song. So talking about individuals starts to make a lot less sense than it used to. We've been talking about the wood element all along here, but the true magic comes when we realize that wood must be nourished by water to grow. It burns to ash with fire and on and on and on, that each point along the wheel is supported by everything else, that we are always so much more than just these lonely parts or these categories, especially the places in the cycle that might feel more liminal or in between, these unnamed transitional spaces. What we perceive as just empty gaps are generally where the true relational juice lies, like the dark matter spaces between the stars. We can practice better seeing or really searching out with intention these webs of interrelationality and the way that they make all beings, big or small, blessedly essential. I feel this in my human body, this sense that, um, I don't know, there's this burgeoning, expanding realization that there's not really an immune system. There is this immune intelligence that functions interdependently with our lymphatic and metabolic and digestive and circulatory intelligences. So in the forest, there's no mushrooms without the soil, the trees, the weather they live with. It's an enmeshed world. And the mycelial networks are perhaps one of the best teachers to help rid us of this exhausting compartmentalizing that seems to play, plague our human minds. Merlin Sheldrake, in his uh, book called Entangled Life, tells us that, quote, mycelium is ecological connective tissue, the living seam by which much of the world is stitched into relation, end quote. So I'd love to know how your feeling would erupt or slow grow in your body this season? What stories do you have of spring? 
What does your experience of wood relate to in terms of larger issues surrounding our changing planet, especially the changing forests? How are you feeling the wood element move in you and at the same time uh, allow for this burgeoning awareness of how that single element hold, holds all, all of the elements inside of it? Continuing to make space for this wider view of interrelationality. So I'm leaving you with these words from Ben Rollins again. These are from his book, The Tree Line, The Last Forest and the Future of Life on Earth. And he says, quote, The leaf talks to the wind. The flower talks to the bee. The roots talk to the fungi. The world is a chaotic, noisy place. When we walk into the forest, we're making the world with our bodies, with our feet, our eyes, our breath, our imaginations. A million randomized branching futures are possible. The forest is a sea of possibility, an infinite experiment in co-evolution. End quote. I could feel all of the, the woody liver energy in, in his sentiment, in his words there. Well, much gratitude for everyone listening, for spending this time with me. And if it felt of benefit to you, just a reminder to please do consider leaving a review or subscribing to the podcast ongoingly from whatever your preferred listening sources that we can be notified whenever a new episode is released. And if this path of embodied ecology and earth-honoring relationship building calls to you, but you're feeling like reconnection is confusing or awkward or you're not really sure where to begin, check out my Earth Heart, Earth Psyche online class, An Intimate Journey of Knowing Ourselves at Home with the Living World. And you can learn more about that and all of my offerings at KendraWard.com. May we discover new ways while also remembering old ways of relating and being in kinship as we continue to bring an open-armed adoration and devotion for this wild earth. And I look forward to being with you on the next episode.